Hope you can hear me okay. Um, can you hear me? Uh, somebody, you, you can hear me because you're right next to me. Uh, I'll just keep on speaking and hopefully, ah yes, excellent, you can hear me. That's good. Okay, then I'll begin. Um, ha. Well, um, Mick texted me, he said, what are you doing? Are you doing Sunday Club this Sunday? I was like, no, I'm playing guitar. He goes, oh. I said, why do you want to know? He said, because I need somebody to preach short notice. I was like, oh, okay, how exciting. So then I looked at the passage. <laughs> I was like, oh, ah, <laughs> I see, no wonder. That obviously, everybody else was just like, no, I'm not preaching all that. Um, so here we are, Acts chapter, f- well, I'll start at chapter 4, but we're going to go into chapter 5, the start of chapter 5. Um, uh, but yes, let's start um, just reading chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, from verse 34. Uh, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field, Cyprus, why did I say Cyprus? I don't know. Uh, Sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But, and here we come on to the story of this week, but a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Um, (laughs) And we'll get on to see what happened uh, in a minute. But Ananias... Um, His name is, well, the Hebrew name is Hananiah. Ananias is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Hananiah. So we have Hananiah in the Old Testament. We have Ananias, the Greek New Testament. And uh, it means favored by Yah. Hananiah, favored by Yah, as in favored by Yahweh, favored by God. And that's who he is. He's favored by God. And I'm sure he goes around most of the day thinking, yeah, I'm favoured by God. That's my name. Isn't that an awesome name to have? Favoured by God. What an awesome name. Um, But it's interesting because, you know, sometimes stories sort of tend to repeat themselves in the Bible, and there's a Hananiah in the Old Testament who I'm going to look at in a minute. I don't know about you. Um, My name is Stephen, and when I hear the name Stephen mentioned in the Bible, I go, oh yes, I, I know about that story because it's it's my name. And so I relate to it. 
And I'm sure this guy, Ananias, when he heard the stories of Hananiah in the Old Testament, he would go, oh yeah, well, I know that story because I relate to it because it's my name. I share the name. Hananiah. Ananias. So let's, uh, let's just quickly have a look and see. Um, I mean, there's a few people called Hananiah, but there's one specific chap called Hananiah that I want to look at in the Old Testament. Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah and chapter 27 and 28. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all two chapters. They're fairly long. But uh, I just want to give some background. So uh, chapter 27 of Jeremiah uh, says this. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Okay, that's a bit of a strange uh, request from the Lord. But the Lord says, Listen, you need to make yourself a yoke. And you need to put it on your neck. And you need to carry around this yoke. You know what a yoke is? Oxen wear yokes. And as they are plowing, they, they drag behind them a, a piece of farm machinery, uh, and it's sort of yoked to their neck. Uh, and so Jeremiah had to, uh, and oxen are beasts of burden. They have to carry this stuff behind them, and it's yoked to them, and they can't get rid of this burden. And that's a strange thing. God is saying to Jeremiah, you need to wear a yoke. It's like, what's going on? Well, um, there's a few instructions, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all of it. As I said, let's read from verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 27. Uh, God is continuing to speak to Jeremiah. He says, um, So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. For it's a lie that they're prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. So that's the message. You need to be yoked under the king of Babylon. I am putting some authority over you as a nation. And of course, this is very unpopular because the king of Babylon, (laughs) uh, nobody likes the king of Babylon. And nobody wanted to serve the king of Babylon. But God was saying, look, just serve him and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Now, chapter 28, we hear about Hananiah. And uh, in my Bible, it's headed Hananiah, the false prophet. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's read chapter 28, and I'm going to read from verse 10. Verse 10 of 28. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Well, so Jeremiah's been given this message. (laughs) You've got to serve the king of Babylon. Wear that yoke to symbolize it. And here's Hananiah going, no way, that's not what God would say. And he breaks the yoke, very symbolic. And then Jeremiah's just like, right, okay, bye-bye. I'm off then. See ya. What can I do? Jeremiah doesn't fight him. He doesn't argue with him. He's just like, okay, all right. 
But, in verse 12, sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Whoa. Well, that sounds bad news, doesn't it? That's a bit scary. That's a bit frightening. God says, you were lying to people about me, and therefore you're going to die, Hananiah. And Hananiah's got a bit of time, perhaps, to repent and try and get his estate in order and to think what he's done. Whether he repented or not, we don't know. But ultimately, that was God's judgment, and he died. So, Ananias would probably know this story. It sounds very like a story he might know, mightn't it? Hmm. But let's go back to our story of Ananias and see what happened to Ananias because that's our little Old Testament background. And we'll go back to Acts chapter 4 and uh, chapter 5. Yes, where were we? Chapter 5. All right, I'll read from verse 4 again. So this is Peter speaking to Ananias. He says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Hananiah in the Old Testament was lying to man. But Ananias in the New Testament was lying directly to God. And verse 5, When Ananias heard these words... He fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Whoa, that's, that's a bit scary, isn't it? That's like, wow. He didn't even have time to repent. He didn't even have time to speak. It's just like, as soon as he hears the words, <gasps> that's it. <laughs> that's it, he's down. And all the guys, what's happened? What happened? Imagine if that happened while we were collecting. Thankfully, the, the offering has already been collected this morning. <laughs> we're safe. <laughs> we're, we're safe. <laughs> so far. Wait till next week. But, <laughs> but imagine if that was happening. Suddenly, suddenly you got up and said, hey, you've lied in your heart about what you're offering. And suddenly people were dying left, right, and center. What would you think? What would you say? What would you do? You'd be like, okay, this, I think this church thing uh, is very good, but I think I'll, I'll be going to the Baptist church from now on. Thanks very much. <laughs> that, that sort of thing doesn't happen to the Baptist church, surely. <laughs> Whoa, that's astounding. That's scary. That's frightening. And it says, great fear came upon all who heard of it. You have not lied to man, 
back to God. I just want to read you something from the book of Hebrews. You, you would have thought, now this is an interesting thing, isn't it? That uh, You think under the Old Testament, the Old Testament God is scary. But the New Testament God, surely he's a God of love. He's not that scary. And yet here we see something even more scary. Because it, straight away he's dead. Well, I want to read you something from uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, verse 28 says this. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing. You see, the Mosaic law was scary, but the New Testament can be even scarier. It can be even scarier. Okay. Well, you think that's bad enough? Let's read on in Acts chapter 5. Let's see what happens next. Because you can imagine, they're like, oh, what's happened? Sapphira, the wife, is going to turn up. What are they going to say to Sapphira, his wife? How are they going to tell her what's happened? What are they going to do? Let's uh, let's read on Acts chapter 5, and I'll read from verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, uh, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Too right. Oh, my word. Well, this is... <laughs> How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? In the Old Testament, um, there's the book of Exodus. Um, the people were wandering through the desert... It's Exodus 17, if you want to look it up later. But they were wandering through the desert, and they got to the place where there was no water, and they were saying, is God here, or isn't he here? Is God here, or isn't he here? And really, in their hearts, they're thinking, God isn't here. We're going we're gonna to die of thirst in this desert, and we don't think God is here. Later on in Deuteronomy um, Moses is referring to this passage, and he says, let me just find it, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He's teaching the people, he says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. 
lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested Him at Massa. Massa was the place where they were arguing about, you know, is God here? There's no water. And Massa means testing. The actual name of the place was named testing because they were testing God. They were saying, well, well, is God here or not? And that was what Sapphira was doing. She was saying, I don't think God's here. There was no fear of God within her. And that's what Ananias was doing. He was saying, I don't think God's here. (laughs) I I can get away with saying that I have sold this piece of property. 100% of it is going to you. Nobody will know if I pocket a bit. Nobody will know, and God won't know. I don't think God is here. You don't want to be testing whether God is here or not. Because if suddenly you find that God is here, then that's a fearful thing. (laughs) I would rather not know that God is here, even though I want to know God is here, but I, I don't want to know in that way. I don't want to be testing God in that way and saying, is God here or not? I don't really believe it. And then doing the wrong thing. Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what happened? Well, uh, I'm just going to look at... Um, I'm going to go for a few verses into next week, but that's, that's all right, because I just want to see the aftermath of this. Um, so Acts chapter 5... Verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And then in verse 13, it says, none of the rest dared join the church, but the people held them in high esteem. Can you imagine? You're out there on the streets, come to our church. No, thank you. (laughs) I've heard what happens to Ananias. I heard what happened to... No, I don't want to go to your place of worship because I hear that people fall down dead. It's scary. Thank you, but no thank you. What a great witness statement that is. <laughs> Isn't that great? I can imagine Peter and, and the apostles going, nobody wants to join us anymore. Nobody wants to be at our church anymore. And yet, when we read on, in verse 14, it says... And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So what happened? How come, on the one hand, they're saying, oh, it's too scary, I don't want to know. And yet, then they find that actually they're starting to believe, believers are added. They're starting to believe in God through what has happened. Uh, there's a, a nice proverb in the book of Proverbs Chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. The fear of the Lord, when you fear the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning part. That's where, like, you're saying, I'm really scared of God. So now I need to find out how to be wise so that I can survive. <laughs> God, could, God could slay me. God could kill me. But I want to be wise to find out how I can live. 
So I'll read that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. In Luke chapter 1, it says, His mercy is on for those who fear Him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear Him. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 50. Now, we're talking about the fear of God. And you may, uh, you may notice that not many people preach about the fear of God these days because they want to talk about the love of God. I want to talk about the love of God. And John, uh, the uh, writer, the uh, apostle who wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote a letter in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. I was reading um, St. Augustine, trying to find out something about this whole thing about fear. St. Augustine seems a good place to go to. I thought I'd I'd read some of his stuff. Uh, He wrote about a married woman. You know, in his mind's eye, he was sort of trying to come up with an analogy. And he says, what about this married woman whom you may suppose is willing to commit adultery, delights in wickedness, only fears lest she should be condemned by her husband. She fears her husband, but because she yet loves wickedness, that's the reason why she fears her husband. To this woman who commits adultery, the presence of her husband is not grateful but burdensome. And if it chance that she live wickedly, she fears her husband, lest he should come to her. Such are they that fear the coming of the day of judgment. Question her, dost thou fear thine husband? She answers, I do. Now let her be questioned why. She saith, I fear my husband, lest he should come to me. I fear to be condemned. This is a fear which love can cast out. This is a fear which love can cast out because if the husband comes and she repents and she says, I'm so sorry, and he goes, I love you. Oh, all of my fears are gone. I'm sorry, I don't want to do it again. That is a love. That is a fear which love can cast out. When we fear the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom, but, but wisdom as we continue to learn about the wisdom of God and we continue to learn that Jesus died for our sins. He shed his blood on the cross. His sprinkled blood just covers everything. His sprinkled blood just makes us clean. His sprinkled blood, just whatever it is that you're afraid of, his sprinkled blood just can cover it over. And you can be white as snow. Perfect love which just casts out our fear. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. So fear, that's the beginning point. But love is the end point. However, you may say, well, that's all very well, Stephen. That's all very well. But when we read through Acts chapter 5, verse 11, we see that the church feared God. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Aren't the church already saved? Aren't they already knowing the grace of God? When we continue in, uh, I'll just read something from Acts chapter 9. Where is it? Chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. The church is walking in the fear of the Lord. So what's going on? Because on the one hand, we're saying that fear has to do with punishment. And when God takes away that punishment and we know his love, then we don't need to fear anymore. And yet we see the church continuing to say, yet we are walking in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? We can start to get confused if we, if we cherry-pick verses out of context. Uh, for example, 2 Timothy, Paul says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God didn't give us a spirit of fear anymore. Yeah, but Paul also said in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Ah, okay. In other words, don't fear, but also fear. Hmm. Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, don't fear, but fear. Don't be afraid, and yet be afraid. What's going on? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? A bit confusing. Well, again, St. Augustine, I was looking through St. Augustine's works, you know, as you do on a a Saturday night. (laughs) Um, He says this, it's very interesting, we must be on our guard against supposing that we have not received the spirit of the fear of God, which is undoubtedly a great gift of God, and concerning which the prophet Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon thee, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of knowledge and piety, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Do you want the Holy Spirit to rest on you? Do you want the spirit of, the lo- of wisdom and understanding? Do you want the spirit of knowledge and piety? Do you want the spirit of the fear of the Lord? You can't have one without the other. So, what's going on? Psalm 19, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Hmm. Well, hang on a minute. I thought, like, I would fear God, and then I would get to that place where I'm full of love, and hey, I don't fear anymore. And yet, here in God's Word, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There is a fear that endures forever. Well, how can this be? It's very, it's very strange, isn't it? Well... 
Again, I was reading through St. Augustine, you know, he, he's got a lot to say, has St. Augustine. He's a good chap, a good chap. Earlier we heard about the woman who feared her husband. She was afraid because she was committing adultery. She knew she was in sin and she, I, I hope my husband doesn't return because I'll be in trouble. And we know that if the husband is loving, then that love can cast out that fear. But, but St. Augustine talks about another woman. Another woman loves her husband and feels that she owes him chaste embraces and does not stain herself with uncleanness of adultery. She wishes for the presence of her husband. Question her whether she fears her husband. She answers, I do fear him. Now let her be questioned, why? She saith, I fear my husband, lest he depart from me. I fear to be forsaken. This second fear is chaste and endures forever. That fear that says, I want God so much that, that the thought of him turning away from me, oh, that would break my heart. I'm afraid of God turning away from me because of my own sin. That fear says, I will keep pure. I will continually look at the blood of Jesus to cover over my sins. I will continually put my faith in the Lord. I will continually cling to my Lord and Savior. I will not let go. Clement of Alexandria wrote about the man who fears God, saying, well, it's not really God, but falling away from God that the man is terrified for. Another early church father, Cyprian, he, he wrote about that fear which would dread to offend the Lord. I'm so, I'm so frightened because I do not want to offend the Lord in any way because I love him. Do you want that fear? That fear of the Lord which says, I want the Lord so much. I love him so much. And, and I know that anything which, because he's so holy, anything which would offend him or or cause me to become unholy, would cause me to be cut off from him in some way. And I hate that, and I, I fear that happening. And I know because he's holy, that would have to happen. There would have to be some sort of, I would have to just be separate from him for a time because I'm unholy, and I need the blood of Jesus. <laughs> I need to claim the blood of Jesus again. I want to come back into the presence of the Lord because I fear him. Do you want to fear the Lord. Well, I just want to close by looking at that story of Isaiah, uh, that, that uh, passage in Isaiah which St. Augustine quoted. It's Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I'll read from verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Is that your delight? 
His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I love to fear God because it keeps me from the ways of the world. It keeps me in His presence. I love to fear God because it is a chaste, pure, clean fear. It's not a fear that causes me to worry and and worry, oh, I'm going to be punished. No, it's a, a fear that says, I want to cling to Him more. That's what the true fear of God is. Now, I don't know whether I experience that fear as much as I should. I'm reading it here going, ah, I need that spirit then, don't I? I need the, this is a, a spiritual thing which the Holy Spirit grants to us. You see, Ananias, he was lying to the Holy Spirit. He didn't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. It was just like, the Holy Spirit, psh. I could get away with all sorts of stuff. But I want the Holy Spirit within my life. And I want to learn the fear of God. The fear that is pure. The fear that is clean. The fear that I can delight in because it draws me ever closer to my master and my friend. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, 